electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod, Senator Mark Warner on the push to ban TikTok. We've had this whack-a-mole approach on foreign-based technology for years. Bipartisan legislation being introduced today to limit foreign technology in the U.S. This is a modern framework that would take on foreign communication technologies across the board. We include artificial intelligence. We include quantum computing. We include synthetic biology. And three years and a lot of change since March 2020. Semaphore's Liz Hoffman has one of the first inside accounts of corporate leaders facing the pandemic. I think there's a piece of 9-11 in this. It was a fear event. People were afraid. Plus, an airline merger on the brink. It's the highest number of antitrust actions ever taken. This would have created the fifth largest uh, airline in the U.S. And the Biden budget 2024, early details coming out. He had the House and the Senate until January. If you wanted to do something like this, you probably should have done it a little earlier. It's Tuesday, March 7th, 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is off today. Um, how the housing market? Housing market's not great. No. Big story today. Housing market cools. I mean, mortgage rates are higher and prices. You've they, noticed. They're higher and it, and it directly translates into how much expendable income you have after shelter. It also translates into whether people are willing to sell their homes, because if you were going to sell a mortgage that you locked in at 2.9% and have to get a new mortgage at a much higher rate, that's going to keep you from doing it, which means there's not a whole lot of supply yeah. on the market either. So that is definitely, you know, we got to do the Ben Franklin close. That's definitely, okay, stop, uh, pivot. But on the other side, restaurants, air travel, hotels, Anything that's fun, any, any experience. Inflation yeah. in general. And there's a concern that with the, ha- with the um, hiring market hanging in there, that you could see rents start to pick back up again, too. There's a delay in that. Um, the employment market's been very strong. As a result, you might see rents pick back up, and that will have an impact. And if on people make more money, they're spending it on uh, restaurants and travel. Places and they want to go. Yeah. So it's, all, you know, it's all pandemic-related, I think. Is it related to how much money we spent? I don't know. We have Kevin McCarthy on yesterday talking about how much the interest expense is going to be in the future. It's going to be what he said it was nine trillion total cumulative. And in the next 10 years, it's going to be 10 trillion is the estimate from the CBO. Just in the next. Yeah. And I said I I would take uh, the over uh, on that because if rates go higher for longer then the the interest is going to be the CBO just puts in numbers depending on projections. If you are data dependent as the Fed and you're worried about inflation because as inflation goes up, Wages may be going up, but they're not keeping pace with the, with the rate of inflation, which means your standard of living will decline and it will hurt the people at the bottom rungs the most. Right. That inflation is, is a insidious thing, but so are, you know, so is higher unemployment. President Biden has an op-ed in the New York Times uh, this morning. He says that uh, the budget that he plans to release this week, which 
you know, we haven't done a, actually done a budget in a while, will include an increase in the Medicare tax rate on earned and unearned income above $400,000 uh, from 3.8% to 5%. The president said that tax, along with uh, savings from allowing Medicare to negotiate lower drug prices, would help keep the Medicare trust fund solvent beyond 2050 without uh, cutting benefits. That might be the beginning of uh, some type of negotiation. That's the other thing that both in recent interviews, Vice President Pence and yesterday, um, something we gotta not necessarily cut Medicare and Social Security, but you gotta fix it because it's gonna be. What insolvent. I don't understand is why this isn't something because this is gonna be a non-starter with the House. The Republicans, the Republicans yeah. will not go along with it. He had the House and the Senate until January. Yeah. If you wanted to do something like this, you probably should have done it a little earlier, moved it through when you actually controlled. Um, all three yeah. parts. And he, uh, you know, that 400,000 number comes up again and again and again. But it, it just depends on, obviously, where you live. Sure. New York City, you probably aren't, I mean, you're doing well. You're doing well, above. but yeah, you're, you're, you're not, you're not that's, okay. for, that's for married, is it? Or, I, I think it is yeah, for married, yeah. JetBlue said uh, it expects that the Justice Department's going to sue this week to try to block the airline's uh, planned takeover of Spirit Air. CEO Robin Hayes said in an interview that regulators have from the very beginning, seemed intent on stopping the merger right from the onset, outset. And he said, is it onset or outset? And he said that uh, JetBlue prepared to, to contest the Justice Department lawsuit in court. JetBlue and Spirit agreed to combine last year in a $3.8 billion deal. It's piddly. It's small. They, they, they're, they're tiny. They can't pop. It would be, I think, what is it, like total 10% of the air travel? They can't compete now, either one of them, with the, with the majors. Yeah, but if, but you have, if you have a low-cost you know, low provider in a market, it definitely brings everybody's prices down a little bit. If but JetBlue is not a, really a high cost. It, the Justice Department and, and other government agencies have, at other times, argued that JetBlue actually brings down costs. And in this case, now they're saying, okay, look, right now the Justice Department is not going to let, they just, yeah, they're just not letting anything go. It's crazy and probably not great, but. It's the highest number of antitrust actions ever taken. Right. Justice. This would have created the fifth largest uh, airline in the U.S. They say, they argue that, that it would actually, uh, you know, some of the majors don't fly to small cities anymore. They would, you know, reopen some of those. They say it would actually be, make it more competitive to compete against the majors if these two got together. Yesterday, Florida's attorney general uh, announced a settlement agreement with the airlines uh, that she said would bring new flights and jobs to, to Florida, resolving her office's concerns with the merger. Uh, JetBlue shares closed uh, 1% higher. Spirit uh, stock fell 8.8%. And if it's not the... Uh, it's not the Justice Department. They've got to get by the other agencies, and uh, anyone can block this. What's the other one that's looking at? Uh, there the FTC? Was somebody or? Saying, no, I, I heard it this morning. It was. Um, JD is going to sue. And then, oh, the Labor Some, Department. The Labor Department, Labor Department can also block it. Yeah, it could block it by. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Transportation, transportation Department. Transportation take, take and say that they're not going to give them the certificate mm -hmm. and hand it over. Yeah. You can't just, if you approach every single thing with a no. It's not, it's not what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to actually be... It's a freeze on things. Have you seen anybody try and do... I mean, that, that's why there's so little M&A activity right now. Right. I don't... We've had arguments over the years on whether it's expensive to fly. It's gotten more expensive in the last year. But yeah. versus 1975 prices, it's much cheaper on a I'm a little more concerned adjusted. about the demand picture making them maybe not as cautious as they've been in the past. 
In the meantime, shares of WW International, which is, of course, formerly known as Weight Watchers, are sharply higher today after the company is buying digital health company Sequence. That's a service that offers telehealth visits with doctors who can prescribe drugs that are used to treat diabetes and obesity, including the drug Ozempic and Wegovy. Is it Wegovy? Is that how you say it? I don't even know what that is, no. Ozempic. Do I look like I need a weight loss drug? Ozempic. That one I've heard of. Well, because of, oh, 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 whoever, I want to go find the advertising agency. I do. And I want to, like, I don't want to. I'm not going to threaten them, but I, I almost would for doing that. Kind of are. Yeah. I don't know what I want to do to them. Anyway, find, find them. WW sees that it says it says that it sees the new obesity and diabetes drugs as an adjunct to its existing offerings, including its cornerstone eating plan. The company's chief science officer said that they have no interest in prescribing medications to those who are trying to lose 10 pounds for a reunion. But WW plans to create programs that are geared to people who are using weight loss drugs that would help them maintain muscle mass while they're losing the weight. We should note that WW's market cap right now, just about $303 million, but of course it's more than it was yesterday. Right now it's up by about 11%. One of our viewers points out they're not near misses, they're near hits, to be specific. <laughs> uh, and um, what yes. were you, oh, was, I, I, I'm hearing that people that do this, there's after effects when you stop. You shouldn't take a diabetes drug, stop eating. I mean, I should talk, but stop eating. You might have heard Joe mention a message from a member of the audience there. That can be you. When you follow the show on Twitter, our handle is at Squawk CNBC. And coming up next on Squawk Pod, the national security concerns from TikTok. Senator Mark Warner on a move to ban the app. The fact that the Communist Party of China has changed their laws to make sure that TikTok's parent, ByteDance, has to be first and foremost loyal, not to the customers or the shareholders, but to the Communist Party, that ought to concern all of us. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Stand by, Joe, in three, two, one. His mic, here. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick. Andrew's off today. Our next guest is set to unveil a bill in Washington that could lead to the United States banning TikTok. I want to welcome Virginia Democratic Senator Mark Warner. He is the chairman of the Select Committee on Intelligence. He's also co-sponsoring this bill with South Dakota Republican John Thune. And Senator, welcome. Uh, we've been hearing about this bill coming and I guess today is the time you can really lay out the specifics. How would it work? Well, First of all, Becky, um, thanks for having me on. Uh, I've got John Thune as my partner, actually 12 senators, six Democrats, six Republicans. 
broadly based co-sponsoring it. And what brought us to this is not just TikTok. I mean, we've had this whack-a-mole approach on foreign-based technology for years. A few years back, it was Kaspersky, the Russian software company. Then it was the Chinese telecom maker Huawei. Now it's the Chinese uh, mobile app TikTok. What we're saying is from six nations, China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, Venezuela, and Cuba, if it is a, a foreign-based technology that poses a national security risk, we're going to give the Secretary of Commerce the ability to do a series of mitigation up to and including banning. And in the case of TikTok, uh, we've got a entity that has about 100 million Americans a day spend on average 90 minutes. I bet you wish you had viewers that would spend 90 minutes a day on CNBC. Uh, they are collecting data. They have the potential to collect data. They have the potential of the Communist Party of China to manipulate the videos so that it is a propaganda tool. And uh, I think it is it is a national security threat. If it's uh, that dangerous, why can't we just do that already? Security. I mean, what, what's, what's wrong with the because system that if it's that dangerous? Because, with, because it is a communications tool. There are a series, there are First Amendment issues, there are a series of issues uh, of the previous framework that the president had to act was mitigated by something called the Berman Amendment in the 1980s. We create a whole new set of authorities for the Secretary of Commerce in conjunction with the intelligence community and others. We've been working closely with the administration on this, and we think this is a modern framework that would take on communications, foreign communication uh, technologies across the board. We include artificial intelligence. We include quantum computing. We include synthetic biology. Because in my mind, at least, and I see this from the Intel standpoint, um, this competition with China around who dominates technology domains, that really is where the nexus of national security lies going forward. It, it may be too late, even if it is such a threat, and even if you are successful at putting this bill forward, turning it into a law. We had a reporter from with us earlier today who pointed out that, look, it doesn't mean if you ban it that it disappears from everybody's phones overnight. They would still be there. It just wouldn't be available for download anymore in the app stores. And he pointed out that enterprising teenagers who are addicted to this service could just set up a VPN that makes it look like they're coming in from Paris or from somewhere else in the world and go ahead and download that anyway. You're, you're absolutely right on that. And there's no effort of this bill to go after individual users. We do think, I mean, the federal government has banned this earlier, a couple years back, the military banned this. Uh, I think if you ended up uh, precluding it from the app store, there will be a, uh, a movement where people will, will think twice, particularly parents, I think, ought to think twice before their kids are giving up all this data or potentially uh, having themselves uh, manipulated by content. You know, and the, the ability to show the difference on content manipulation, you look at the TikTok that the Chinese kids get, that is all about science, technology, you know, study hard, not so much what our kids get. And, and I'm saying everything on TikTok is bad. It's not. But I do think the fact that the Communist Party of China has changed their laws to make sure that TikTok's parent, ByteDance, has to be first and foremost loyal, not to the customers or the shareholders, but to the Communist Party, that ought to concern all of us. There have been concerns about manipulating the algorithm so that we get certain things. You just mentioned that there in China, kids there are seeing math and science. Kids here are seeing a bunch of short, sort of goofy uh, videos. Is that because of the algorithm or is that just because of what kids here want to see? No, it, it is based upon the algorithms. Remember, TikTok uh, gives you content that you, they think you would like. Uh, if 
somehow the Communist Party decides, well, we want to make sure that nobody who's on TikTok in America sees anything about Taiwan that doesn't mean, doesn't include the, the basis that Taiwan should be part of the PRC. If they suddenly say, we want to make sure you see videos that undermine American democracy or say it's not too bad if Xi Jinping and the Chinese give arms to Russia in terms of supporting Putin's illegal invasion of Ukraine. That ability. You're thinking 90 minutes a day, young people are on this tool. Um, it has the potential, I think, to uh, uh, pose a national security risk. Now, the you other think that's thing happening right now, level, or you think that this is just a potential? I think, the, I think this is more on the potential at this point. But one of the things that we also require is to make sure that the intelligence community or others, if they want to make this case, they have to declassify as much as possible why this is a national security risk. You still have to make the case. I, I think back a few years back when Huawei, the Chinese telecom equipment maker, was out. And we said, oh, this is bad news. And matter of fact, uh, if you look at where Huawei sold equipment in America, it's almost 100% match into small telcos who are adjacent to our ICBM bases. At first, we had knowledge about some of the challenges with Huawei, but because it was classified, we didn't lay that out in a clear enough basis. Now we have, and you've got literally American taxpayer money being used to rip out Huawei equipment across the country, and many other nations are taking out Huawei equipment. We've got to lean in more uh, if we see a vulnerability and, frankly, give that to the public uh, so we can make our case stronger. Is that what you think was actually happening, Senator, that, that Huawei was doing this as a, as a spying technique for the Chinese well, government? I think, I think that if you look at the number of countries that had gone down the Huawei path, and remember, this was a case, again, where we didn't have an American alternative. There were the, and Ericsson and Nokia, Swedish and Finnish companies, they were more expensive. It's one of the reasons why in the semiconductor bill that's gotten a lot of attention, we also put some money in to get the next generation wireless called ORAN, where we can compete again. Um, but I think this is what we're seeing. We've never seen an adversary like China that is in one, stealing $500 billion a year of intellectual property from us, and two, investing in new technologies and in many areas at a rate greater than we are. And I think the, the country that controls the telecom system, controls the satellite systems, controls AI, you know, has the dominant uh, mobile app platforms. This all falls, in my mind, into national security concerns. You know, that's different than our traditional thinking of guns and tanks and ships and planes. But in a world where the competition is around technology, I think it's absolutely essential that uh, we and our friends around the world um, don't fall victim to uh, the authoritarian regime coming out of the PRC. Well, China just came out with their, their budget this past weekend. And while the government is not going to be spending on a lot of areas there, two places it is. One is defense. The second is what they call diplomacy. And that was described as a lot of Belt and Road sort of um, initiatives that are out there. Do you think those initiatives are trying to build up Chinese infrastructure? Is that a goodwill? Diplomacy, or do you think that's more of well, what you just described with the Huawei? I, well, first of all, you know, many of the standard-setting bodies are like many UNs, and China has been flooding the zone. Again, I say this as an old telecom guy. It, it blew my mind that you not only had a Chinese company in wireless Huawei, but also that China was setting the rules and regulations and protocols. A lot of that was because these international uh, standard-setting bodies, China does try to get, gain influence by their Belt and Road Initiative. I do think most of the countries, though, that have taken this Chinese help are, are frankly, um, 
reluctant at this point because they see that China comes in and promises, you know, lots of jobs and instead they bring in Chinese labor. Oftentimes the products are not very good and the, the infrastructure is not very good. In a lot of places, these countries have now ended up in immense debt to China. So I think, you know, China has customers. It doesn't have allies. And some of those customers are, I think, pretty uh, uh, unhappy based upon some of the Belt and Road initiatives of the past. Senator Warner, if your bill is successful, how, how long do you think it would be before something like TikTok gets banned? What time frame are you talking about? Well, what we're talking about is still giving the Secretary of Commerce, she'd have to, in this case, Secretary Raimondo, would have to make the case. This is less about TikTok and more about how do we not have the whack approach on foreign technology, but have a frame, a modern framework that can take on software, hardware, mobile apps that pose a national security threat. Remember, TikTok is still going through a review on what's called the CFIUS process, because the way TikTok came into this country in the first place was uh, an acquisition, which triggered CFIUS. So CFIUS could still be a tool that's been used. I think what we need, though, is not, again, this kind of one-off approach, but a systemic approach that approaches foreign technology from, again, not every country in the world, these six nations that the law has already declared as adversarial in nature, and give us a tool that uh, we can stay safe. Senator Warner, I want to thank you for your time this morning. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Becky. Appreciate it. Cheese will be next. Coming up, one of the first accounts of how the world's biggest companies survived the economic shock of the COVID-19 pandemic. Author Liz Hoffman on her new book. This moment where, you know, the CEOs are getting caught up in these culture wars. Yeah. I think the DNA of that is squarely in the pandemic. Squawk Pot. We'll be right back. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. We're discussing uh, the economy. We're discussing how it relates to jobs and all of the things that are happening right now with the with the virus that we've become so familiar with. We have therefore made the assessment that COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. Here's Joe Kernan. It's been three years uh, since CEOs first confronted the challenge of the COVID-19 pandemic. Crash Landing, the inside story of how the world's biggest companies survived an economy on the brink, is one of the first accounts to detail how the crisis changed the way they lead. Uh, and joining us now first on CNBC is the author of the new book, Liz Hoffman. She's also the business and finance editor at Semaphore. It just Thinking about it, Liz, I immediately thought it's like a daunting task. And I said, I think I might ask Chet GPT just to put something together. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, it, but you did not do that. I didn't. Then, I, it was not available to Short me. <laughs> of talking to all 500 S&P CEOs, how do you come up with similar things that they had? For example, Doug Parker, you point out. Okay, so he's got an airline. Uh, media executives. We had to immediately scramble and figure out how to do iPads in our home to stay on the air when you couldn't go. Every company seems like it was faced with its own 
unique challenges. Did you, were you able to find similarities? Yeah, I think, I mean, I wanted to make sure that I sort of captured the, the scope of the economy, as you point out. Airlines was an obvious story. Uh, I, I told the story of Hilton and, and uh, Airbnb, right, a Silicon Valley upstart trying to disrupt that industry. Ford, I thought, had an incredibly compelling story, you know, incredibly over leveraged coming into this, uh, really had an existential threat to their business. Uh, and also pivoted and turned these factories into ventilator and mask uh, assembly lines. So, I mean, and then of course the Wall Street story too, though I was struck, I think I, when I thought going in, I thought it would be much more a financial sector story than it ultimately turned out to be. I was surprised at how well the markets held up ultimately and ended up being much more a story about the real economy. It, it didn't just hold up, it's like technology was, we got five years worth of growth uh, in, in, in a year or, or in a year and a half, it was bizarre. Right? Some of the things that happened, I guess you'd have to be pretty smart to have predicted uh, the way things played out. But, but we had nothing like this except maybe, I mean, it's a 100-year plague, basically. We had 9-11. That shut down airlines, shut down travel, shut down hotels, shut down sort of a, a tenth of the things that this shut down. But, but we did, they did have some experience in, in that scenario, that black swan. I think there's a piece of 9-11 in this, which is that they, it was a fear event. People were afraid, um, which was not so much the case in 2008. People were mad in 2008, but I don't think they were afraid. But then you had just the, the fundamental economic shock of 2008, and combined in a way that we've certainly never seen, as you point out, uh, the last one of these was 100 years ago, and the modern economy bears basically no resemblance to the economy in, in 1918 in terms of how global it is, how interconnected it is, how fragile it is, how, uh, how fast it moves. Um, yeah. And so no real, uh, no real playbook on the shelf. That said, I think a lot of credit goes to um, the response of governments here. They did in about six, eight weeks, if you remember, in March and April of 2020, what it took them six, eight, nine months to do in 2008, what they never did in 1929, 1987, previous crashes. So I guess if there's a silver lining, it's that we are getting better at this. Yeah, I think it's too soon, Liz, yeah, to, to be talking about all these. I wish you had, but no, it's, it's not. But I mean, people are still walking by in masks. So it's not, unless they didn't get the mandate of the mask off mandate, uh, which is the new mandate. But uh, it is very soon. Do you have incredible uh, management ex uh, guys that just, or, or gals who handled it incredibly well? And do you have people that just totally messed up and, and, and had lasting negative consequences on their business? You know, there's a, there's a sort of an interesting like intellectual experiment I've been running in my head, which is if the pandemic had been half as bad, if the response from the government had been half as robust, you might have seen, I think, more disparate outcomes as it was. You throw $6 trillion at a hole, I don't care how big the hole is, you can fill it. I, I almost feel like we, like you're gonna have to do a sequel because I feel like there are still so many lasting mm -hmm. issues with anger between those who are coming in working through the whole time, those who didn't, um, how management is still kind of playing this game and playing off of each other. And I, I feel like that is a long-term problem. I totally agree. And you know, I think this moment where you know, the CEOs are getting caught up in these culture wars, yeah. I think the DNA of that is squarely in the pandemic. There was this huge vacuum of public sector leadership and mm. CEOs, I think mostly for the right reasons, though also a fair amount of ego involved, um, you know, kind of rushed in to fill that void. And you know, early on, the decisions they had to make sort of felt 
morally easy and, and earnest and well-intentioned, and they, it's, it's been a slippery yeah. slope. People are tired, people are run down, and there is a definite divide of the haves and have-nots. I think you're going to start to see CEOs just get, like, put hey, their heads down and go back to doing their jobs. The vaccine was a big deal, too. I, I remember when I, I got lucky because I had just turned a certain age, and I called my dermatologist who said, yeah, you, you're able to get one. I, thought, I felt like Charlie in the Taco Factory. I was jealous. I know. I know. <laughs> I felt like I got the golden ticket. I did. It was, it was but amazing. Remember how fraught that decision was for CEOs to, to mandate that for well, Mandated, yeah. mandated for customers getting on airplanes. I mean, it was an incredibly I, I couldn't, couldn't complicated decision. I, I, wa- I would have walked out over broke or crawled up over broken glass to get that thing. At the time, right? We were scared. Anyway, Liz, too soon. Too soon. No, do this one, then do the sequel. Thank you. The book's titled uh, Crash Landing, the inside story of how the world's biggest companies survived uh, an economy on the brink. And that is Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern for the latest news and sharp analysis. Oh, 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 whoever, I want to go find the advertising agency. I do. And please follow Squawk Pod wherever you listen. If you find us on Apple Podcasts, you can rate or write a brief review of Squawk Pod. That is the best way to help other listeners find us. That's it. Have a great day, and we'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.